0: We're continuing our study on the life of David and heart of David. Today's story is um, long, 44 verses. But I want to make sure that we pay attention to the story itself. But more than story, it's a fascinating story. But we need to look at what God is doing beneath all this. So in spite of the fact that the text is so long, I want to be faithful in reading through that. But before we do that, I want to give you just a little bit of a foresight so you would remember what to look for, not just paying attention to the external things, surface things only. Why is it important? Because when you look at the story on the surface only, it becomes a moralistic teachings, which is far less than what the scripture can offer to us. And it will actually detract us from the central message of God is conveying through this kind of stories. So what, what, what are things that we could look forward to if we see the hand of God beneath the service of this story? Number one, It leads us to see God makes provisions for our comfort and our needs, even in the times of grief and hardship. We'll soon find out. And Verse 1 starts in chapter uh, 25 of 1 Samuel. Samuel dies. Samuel the prophet. Samuel the torchbearer of Davidic kingdom. Uh, God's promise through the prophet Samuel came to young David, Shepherd David, and he was anointed oil, but it will take ten more ten plus years for him to finally become actual king. But ten years become just torturous years for David. And think about how sad he would be. The whole Israel was sad. But one that who was rooting and approving his anointing to be king, that person who was like a pillar of his life is gone. His mentor was gone. And do you remember that? Because if he was in haste running away from King Saul, his first wife, Michael or Michal. Nobody knows how exactly we pronounce these names, biblical names. And his love. The one that who really loved David is not with him. And through this story, we see God's mysterious provisions for comfort and needs in times of our grief and hardship. Secondly, it leads us to see uh, David as an ordinary sinful man as well as a man after God's own heart who was an extraordinary godly man of God. This is a part that I actually like thrown to David. So far, we have a lot of stories that David's full of the spirit and he was a special man. His heart was gold. But starting this story, we we see David's mistakes, David's shortcomings, David's lack of faith. Can you believe that? So today is a definite mistake. He actually fails God's test, character test. But we'll see that. Thirdly, it leads us to see the danger of self-rationalizing anger and self-destructive vengeance. This was a test that he failed and that God would prevent him through this name, person named Abigail. Wonderfully discreet woman of faith. Fourthly, it leads us to see God's work in sanctifying our souls even when we fail. I think this is a time that I think we need to be certain about this. So when you follow Christ and when you are be- becoming more diligent in your spiritual, spiritual disciplines and the church attendance and involvement in community life, And then you get into trouble, uh, trials. We are almost expectant to depend on God and cry out to God. That God will come around, hold on to God. And that suffering seems to be a venue for our heart cry. God, can you see this? Do you see me? Do you see me going through this? That's one picture. But the second picture is we made a mistake. We are the one who goofed off and who failed. I just, just a brief example. Let's say you drank and drove, and you got a ticket and your license got revoked and you are in pain and you are going through this shame and then all of a sudden you hear the call. To trust God in your hard times. Oh, but God will not hear me. God will not pay attention to me because this is my fault. It was my stupidity to put me into this pit. Do you know God's mercy has no limit. Even when we fail, God is with us. That's a privilege and promise for the children of God, those who belong to God in Christ Jesus. So we will see that God is at work in spite of his failing here. And may God use this story to comfort many of you who are too down on yourself, who are too especially in in, in walking in day to day by grace, no one is disqualified. I was having lunch with someone, with, with a friend of mine who was discouraged about past failure. And looking at the person, I said, do you know, I'm, I'm not just saying this, but I want you to remember this. You are the most qualified person for God's grace. When your soul is abased and you don't have that much options at all. God's grace flows downward. Person who are poor in spirit, person who are humble, person who are desperate, person who are broken, person who are contrite heart. So there are three Main characters in this story Nabal, his wife A- Abigail, and David. And we're going to read through the whole chapter, verse 40, 44 is of that, but kind of sectioned it enough for us to make some observations about each character. Let's start with Nabal. Nabal, in one quick uh, summary, It would be a fool who had too much money, yet too little discretion. Verse 1 through 17. Verse 1. Now Samuel died, and all Israel assembled and mourned for him, and they buried him in his house at Ramah. Then David rose and went down to the wilderness of Paran, and there was a man in Maon, whose business was in Carmel. The man was very rich. He had 3,000 sheep and 1,000 goats. He was shearing his sheep in Carmel. Now the name of the man was Nabal and the name of his wife, Abigail. The woman was discerning and beautiful, But the man was harsh and badly behaved. He was a Calebite. David heard in the wilderness that Nabal was was shearing uh, his sheep. So David sent ten young men. And David said to the young men, go up to Carmel and go to Nabal and greet him in my name, and thus you shall greet him. Peace be to you, and peace be to your house, and peace be to all that you have. I, have, I hear that you have shearers. Now sh- you sh- your shepherds have been with us, and we did them no harm, and they missed nothing all the time they were in Carmel. Ask your young men, and they'll tell you. Therefore, let my young men find favor in your eyes, for we we come on a feast day. Please give whatever you have at hand to, to your servants and to your son, David. And David's young men came. They said all this to Nabal in the name of David and And then they waited. And Nabal answered David's servants, Who is David? Who is the son of Jesse? There are many servants these days who are breaking away from their masters. Shall I take my bread and my water and my meat that I have killed for my shearers? and give it to them, give it to men who come from i do not know where so david's young men turned away and came came back and told him all this and david said to his men every man strap on your on his sword and every man of them strapped on his shor- sword david strapped on his sword David also strapped on his sword. And about 400 men went up after David, while 200 remained with the baggage. But one of the young men told Abigail, Nabal's wife, Behold, David sent messengers out of the wilderness to greet our master, and he wailed at them. Yet the men were very good to us and we suffered no harm and we did not miss anything when we were in the fields as long as we went with them. There were wall to us both night and by night, I'm sorry, both by night and by day, all the while we were with them keeping the sheep. Now therefore, know this and consider what you should do. For harm is determined against our master and against all his house. And he's such a worthless man that one cannot speak to him. Wow. There is a lot there. First of all the backdrop of Samuel's death that we need to be mindful about. So what what could be uh, David's heart condition? So D- David went through this ritual of grieving, but he still, you know the grieving process you usually go through sadness and depression and anger and cycles over and over denial in the beginning. So He was sensitive, and then he met this incident. He went into this incident. But a little bit about background about this wilderness life. Wilderness of Paran is way down in south, and Carmel is way up. So in other words, Nabal was having this family business, sheep herding, and the whole thing was a very gigantic scale. So we could imagine many multiple workers and servants so family members working all together and living together. So was David intrusive and he was kind of putting his hand out where he didn't do anything? According to this story, the wilderness known for thieves and all kinds of troubles can come. When when they saw the sheep and shepherds, David's young men were all always together, guarding and providing and protecting. So the uh, shearing day came, which was very festive uh, season. There's a lot of feasts going on. So because of that, uh, David said, "Maybe we could ask." So he has six hundred men to feed, and probably their wives and children. You know, not counting that, there'll be more than that. David politely sent this message through his ten young men. David goes, uh, uh, goes, who is David? Come on. He knew who David was. This is a contempt. This is kind of thinking about, these days, a lot of young people run away from their masters, trying to be declaring independent. Meaning, David one of the one of them who just broke away from King Saul and then I don't care who he is. I'd rather give all these things to my men. He was not only self-centered but he was full of himself and he was obsessed with his things. I counted it 11 times my water, my meat. Eleven times, and his wife, his servants—they all call him a fool. He's impossible man to talk to, and he badly behaved. I don't have an equivalent of our day language except uh, something I cannot say. <coughs> um, I think typically the the acronym S O P comes up. Okay, let's say he's very selfish, but he need, he's a businessman. He needs to have a foresight. He didn't see the foresight of David's power, David's army, David's strength. And the fact that David was national hero who killed Goliath and whose anointing was now spread, the Samuel's word on him, blessing on him, he disregarded all that. In other words, he disregarded God. Who cares? I am the king of this universe. I don't care what God says. Verse 18 through 31. Now we meet Abigail. And Abigail in all senses the opposite of Nabal. This is my summary. Abigail was a beautiful woman whose discretion, courage, and trust in God's words saved her future king as well as her husband and the family. Verse 18. Then Abigail made haste and took two hundred loaves and two skins of wine and five sheep already prepared and five shia, sias of parched grain and a hundred clusters of raisins and two hundred cakes of figs and lay them on donkeys. And she said to her young man, go on before me, before I, I come after you, But she did not tell her husband Nabal. And as she rode on the donkey and came down under cover of the mountain, behold, David and his men came down toward her, and she met them. Now David had said, Surely in vain have I guarded all that this fellow has in the wilderness, so that nothing was missed. Of all that belong to him, and he has returned me evil for good. God do so to the en- enemies of David and more also if by morning I leave so much as one male of all who belong to him. Ooh, It's a mad Max happened right here. All men, in some degree, that we have this exploding in anger. And then, David was not, his, out of his mind, David was not himself, in some sense. massacre was about to happen. Verse 23. When Abigail saw David, She hurried and got down from the donkey and fell before David on her face and bowed to the ground. She fell at his feet and said, On me alone, my Lord, be the guilt. Please let your servant speak in your ears and hear the words of your servant. Let not my Lord regard this worthless fellow Nabal for as his name is, so is he. Nabal is his name, and folly is with him. But I, your servant, did not see the young man of my Lord, and whom you sent. Now then, my Lord, as the Lord lives, and as your soul lives, because the Lord has restrained you from blood guilt, and from saving with your own hand, now then let your enemies and those who seek to do evil to my Lord be as Nabal. And now let this present that your servant has brought to my Lord be given to the young men who follow my Lord. Please forgive the trespasses of your servant, For the Lord will certainly make my Lord a sure house because my Lord is fighting the battles of the Lord and evil shall not be found in you so long as you live. If man rise up to pursue you and to seek your life, the life of my Lord shall be bound in the bundle of the living in the care of the Lord your God. And the lives of your enemies, he shall sling out, as from the hollow of a sling. Verse thirty, and when the Lord has done to my Lord according to the, all the good that he has spoken concerning you, and has appointed your prince, you appointed you prince over Israel. My Lord shall have no cause. Of grief or pangs of conscience for having shed blood without cause, or for my Lord working salvation himself. And when the Lord has dealt well with my Lord, then remember your servant. Wow. Just one thing that you need to notice is that she's not just buttering up. She is expressing not only discretion, but her faith. You're going to have a sure house. It's not just a house. It's the kingdom. The reign of David's house will have no end. Forever and never. Obviously, looking referring to the king of kings and lord of lords, the promised Messiah, Christ Jesus himself. But he's a young man who's not yet to recognize the king. The official king is the king Saul who's still angry, who's still after David. And do you see that she intentionally not to Intentionally did not tell her husband. Because I, I, I think all this the peacemaking work on behalf of her husband, our entire family, could have been prevented again because of his foolish, greedy, senseless things. Oh, by the way, I forgot to mention the word navel in, in, in Hebrew is close to, it, it is a fool. So some of, some of the commentators, I, which I agree, is that no one, no parent will name their child. Okay, well, can I name my child? Let's call him fool. Hello, fool. Come here. <laughs> but he was notoriously behaved badly and stubborn. and He's full of himself. People start probably calling him something the fool. And then almost like uh, when we say uh, Xerox it's equivalent equivalent to copying anything, right? Can you Xerox it? That means that Xerox is a company name. I think it became like that. And the Calebite, maybe we could think about it two different ways. Descendant of Caleb, between the Joshua and Caleb, they are the two courageous, faithful young men out of twelve spies, and they were the one who said, "We could take it if God is with us." They're like they're like our prey. Another ten is they're giants; we're the grasshoppers. So in a way. Calebite could mean much more of a prominence, meaningful. But there is a light on another slight uh, play of words. Caleb, in Hebrew, sounds like dog. So not our pet, you know, lovely dogs that we care about, but in Israel and back in the days, when you see, when you hear the dog, it was street dog he dirty and they scavengers, so when you see he's like a dog such a dog it's not a compliment at all it's like s o b again <laughs> we we watching looking for god's hand beneath the story right and this story is kind of intriguing and even some of the commentaries are hu- humorous in a way that the god's provision had a skirt a special effect on david not only regular skirt but she was a pretty woman pretty beautiful woman emphasized on that But reading the story, we realize her beauty was not just external, but internal. Sounds like Mary's Magnificat. So Mary's song at the angel's announcement. Now finally, David. I would summarize David this way. Yes, he's a man after God's own heart. Yes, he's a type of Christ. In other words, foreshadowing, illustration what Christ will look like. All that. But we see the fallen human side. David here is an ordinary man who failed God's test, God's character test, but was shown mercy. Verse 32 to 44. And David said to Abigail, Blessed be the Lord, the God of Israel, who sent you this day to meet me. Blessed be your discretion, and blessed be you who have kept me this day from blood guilt and from working salvation with my own hand. For as surely as the Lord, the the God of Israel, lives, who has restrained me from hurting you unless you had hurried and come to meet me. Truly by, by mourning there had not been left to Nabal so much as one male. Then David received from her hand what she has brought him. And she, he said to her, Go up in peace to your house See, I have obeyed your voice, and I have granted your petition. And Abigail came to Nabal, and behold, he was holding a feast in his house, like the feast of a king. And Nabal's heart was merry with him, for he was very drunk. So she, she told him nothing at all until the morning light. In the morning when the wine had gone out of Nabal, his wife told him these things, and his heart died with him, and he became a stone. And about ten days later, the Lord struck Nabal, and he died. When David heard that the Nabal was dead, he said, Blessed be the Lord who has avenged the insult I received at the hand of Nabal and has kept back his servant from wrongdoing. The Lord has returned the evil of Nabal on his own head. Then David sent and spoke to Abigail to take her as his wife. When the servants of David came to Abigail at Carmel, they said to her, David has sent us to you to take you to him as his wife. And she rose and bowed with her face to the ground and said, Behold, your maid, handmaid is a servant to wash the feet of the servants of my Lord. And Abigail hurried and rose and mounted, on a, mounted a donkey. And her five young women attended her. She followed the messengers of David and became his wife. David also took Ahinoam of Zezreel, and both of them became his wife. Saul had given Michael, his daughter, David's wife, to palti the son of Laish. Who was in Gellom. There's so many things already there. But let's start with this. Observation on David. Remember last message. It was a victory in Gedi. Sparing Saul's life. He was right there. And he could have killed him. Ended the, this misery of wilderness life. But he didn't. And then, even though we're not going to cover that story again, but chapter twenty four was Victorian and Getty, and then chapter twenty six is a very similar story of a Hakila. David sparing Saul's life again. In between these two victories, and remember that I said the victory is not external victory, but a victory over his own uh, flesh, sarks, sin nature, that he saw, the king saw with himself and he didn't want to become King Saul II. A wonderful spiritual battle victory. And it's sandwiched with this story. Haven't you learned? David, what, what's going on here? Why do you fail so miserably here? You learn to accept and offer kindness to your enemy. Who is trying to kill you? I think it, there's several factors. Number one, it, it is really unexpected. King Saul is constantly, for 10 plus years, he's following him. So he's definitely thinking about, and then he's anointed. So think about taking to the Lord and thinking about, it. should I do this? If I fear the Lord, how can I even touch the gods, the Lord's anointed, so the unexpected thing was like a pin prick, like a you're constantly holding and restraining, and somebody puts a pin and pops, and you're exploding i We could rationalize so it past few weeks I've been going through a lot of this stress and and then I got in trouble because I was kind of vented on uh, kids. I could get away with kids. But with Kate, I cannot get away with it. So I get in trouble. I mean, it, it's not, it doesn't have to be a man only, machismo man only, but it's our fallen self we reacts instead of respond. Another thing is, unlike King Saul is someone who is above him, David now, he's a 600 man, he's organized. And they're skilled and trained men now. And who is this Nabal? I could squash him with no problem. His workers, he's a bunch of people that his house is big, but they're not trained. They're not even soldiers. Oh, underneath of all that, is pride comes in. And my confession is this: one of the most difficult things in my teenage life. somebody insulting my pride. I, I know it's really childish, juvenile, but that was the whole thing to me. I achieved the status of one of the toughest guys in my middle school, and then anyone who challenged me and, and kind of poked me in a, in a disrespectful way, and for me to say nothing and do nothing, oh, that's... A, Worse than death for me, which is still the pride here when when David saw the horrendous things that Saul did, remember Saul had a masco. At Nap. At, uh, Ahimelech, the high priest, and then all the priests, 85 priests and their families, out of his anger, Saul commanded Doeg to sw- wipe them out, slaughter them. Think about this. Dave could have. David could have done worse thing than Saul. And we need to remember that. When others fell, we better not look down on them. How could you? Instead, I could have done even worse things. And one thing about, a uh, positive thing about David, he's a good listener when he pays attention to Samuel, to Jonathan. And this time to Abigail he really listened. And that when man is all caught off guard and a little awkward to admit that oh I was wrong, he hadn't he didn't have any problem. You actually was used by God to restrain me from this blood guilt. How wonderful is that. <laughs> So once again, for us to be focusing on what God is teaching us and what God is doing beneath the surface of all these stories, I try to summarize three, three lessons, key three lessons. Here's number one. Our sanctification requires us of daily dependence on God Yesterday's grace and victory do not last for today. David killing Goliath by faith, David restraining his vengeance and humbly submit to the, to the God's hand in sparing Saul's life. That was past grace, past victories, and past strength. Galatians 5:16 and 17 shows what daily grace and victory looks like. Galatians 5:16. But I say, walk by the spirit and you will not gratify desires of the spirit, flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the spirit. And the desires of the spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things that you want to do. But if you are led by the spirit, you are not under the law. Pay attention to this, men and women. Christian life is not a series of doing the right things in performance. It will be like a building a sand castle. And by the time when somebody's poking at you, somebody's doing things, you're just demolishing the tower that you built. It's not there anymore. Ending up with the shame and guilt. But daily dependence is like this. I don't have any source of power fresh water that has to come from my God my Christ true vine so I need to continually abide in him and listen to him instead of doing the right things you might have done 10 things to, to done right things but if you haven't paid attention to the desires of the holy spirit within you which is very subtle Uh, very non-specific in terms of concrete things that you have to do. You can't check off quiet time. You can't check off giving. You can't check off serving. And even volunteering at a homeless shelter, food bank. But you cannot check off whether you really listen to and led by the desires of the Holy Spirit. Why? Because you need to continually to ask Lord what do you desire in this situation? So even the desire of the Lord is not something that we're performing, but actually we need a fresh water to get fresh water. The one who is thirsty is 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 learning to how to ask for, how to lean on. God for fresh water. Well once you get fresh water, living water, you will become thirstier. The the scripture will become alive, the songs that we sing will become more meaningful. And the victories are sure there. So let's remember that it's a daily requirement. Not just oh, I've done this. I've I've asked for guidance before. So one of the beautiful things that, that happened in uh, stand-up party and gathering was not only meet for Henry, but these brothers were sharing their heart, and a lot of them was an encouragement, but in a challenge as well. So Henry, in Jesus' name, we exhort you to stay thirsty. Amen, brother? So uh, next week we'll take time to pray for uh, Henry before he he leaves. I think that following Tuesday. Before we uh, disregard naval as impossible guy that I just don't want to, hoping that I don't run into him. Know that the navel is within us. We have potential to become navel. Lesson number two. God is at work for our sanctification from the beginning to the end. and Nevertheless, we are to surrender ourselves to the Spirit to Cooperate with God's work. Ephesians one six. And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion on, at the day of Jesus Christ. This is really such a comforting thing. When you are miserably failing, know that God's hand is with you. He didn't let go. Even if you let go of him, God, watching David failing the test, character test miserably, he saves, he prevents using Abigail. So notice that if David killed hundreds of men at this event, if there was no intervention from God through Abigail, he would not be He would not be qualified to be the king of Israel in God's own measure. So, if God is at work, we can either two. We have choice, either obstruct him, or we could cooperate. Okay, someone who is, oh, I, I want to be original. I, I, I want to be feisty with God. Okay, you could do whatever you want to do. <laughs> but God disciplines whom he loves. If you're feisty and if you obstruct his work in you, and you could do a lot of damages, self-damage, and God's heavy hand will be on you. If he really loves you, we will see that as a sign. If you don't belong to him, nothing will happen to you. Third and final lesson: our prudence, courage and faith can be used by God's intervention for other believers' journeys like David and Abigail. Hebrews 3:12 to 14. Take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil and unbelieving heart reading you to fall away from the living God, but exhort one another every day, as long as it is called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. For we have come to share in Christ, if indeed we hold our original confidence firm to the end. Oh, that's a very, such a comforting um, encouragement to us, isn't it? Obviously, the application is simple. We need Abigail's in our lives, and we need to listen to Abigail's in our lives. But, moreover, we are to be an Abigail to our brothers and sisters. It will take courage, yes. It will take discretion, yes. It will take our faith in God's promised, trustworthy word God of God. To whom can you be an Abigail these days? I close you with this. Ellen Radpath, uh, I forgot to bring that book. Remember the, um, the book title is the same title as our series? David, A Man After God's, Oh No, no. Sorry. Making a Man of God. That's the title. And then the subtitle is A Man After In other words, the beauty about the book, I would recommend it, I've, you know, he it, it, it doesn't cover every story, but he covers few other stories. Um, but his insight is always looking for what God is doing behind these stories. And his, his uh, insight on this uh, story is very valuable. How tragic it is. That, after years of Christian experience, men and women, saved by gra- god 's grace, redeemed by jesus' blood, indwelt by the Holy Spirit, fall into a silly trap like that and ruin their testimony. That trap is a temptation to hit back the passion to pay off the high handed individual in his own coin, even though even though For years, we have shown restraint in one area, on one level. On that very same thing, when we have been attacked by someone else, somebody else, we may suddenly find that a pinprick has caused us to explode. We find David here on the very verge of committing a sin which could have cast a dark shadow upon his whole life. Murder, no less. Of course, you say you would never do that. No, perhaps you wouldn't. But you don't murder people simply by shooting them. You can also do it by hating them. The Lord is not interested only in knocking the gun out of your hand He is concerned about taking the poison from your heart and making you love your enemies. Brothers, sisters, I will be the first person that desire the poison out of my heart. If I even look at my ministry at Crossway, there are moments that I am shameful about. I almost made a horrendous mistake because of my temper, my anger. And for you, it could be lust. For you, it could be slight moment of just bitterness that kills us. Externally, we could be doing the right things. But I plead with you. Let's take our heart. Whatever that has poisoned us. Let's take to the Lord and ask the Lord. Christ, my Savior, have mercy on me. Take that poison out of me. Free me from this poison. That's my prayer for you and me. Let's pray. Oh God, our Abba, we're so grateful for this insight and illumination of the Holy Spirit. Yes, we confess we become like Nabal, And we become like this tempered, angry David who could rationalize his act. He could self-destroy the testimonies for Christ. We look to you. Without you, we could become like that. We pray that you will restore our hearts, especially to those of us who are discouraged, who even thinking that they don't have it anymore to go on to trust you, to cling to you, to restore their life before you, their marriage before you, and their service and calling before you. And purify us, Lord. Use Crossway community for your glory. As we are, just picture of a dancing children with joy, with freedom. Keep us that way. And I believe that's really how we could be salty. In this world. Thank you and pray all these things in the name of the Father, of the Son, of the Holy Spirit. Amen.